Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Oster Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest, back for his second time in the hot seat, all the way from Minnesota, my friend, keynote speaker, best-selling author, Renee Rodriguez. Renee, welcome back to the Lone Officer Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's actually good to be in the actual studios. With I you know. Our, our our first um, episode, I think we recorded it earlier this year back in March. Hotel. Yeah, JC and I drove down to um, Fort Lauderdale yeah. to see you. You were doing one of your big Amplify events, and we went in the night early. We had dinner. We sat in the hotel room. We threw down a podcast episode, and now you get to actually be in the office studio because um, I found out literally yesterday... <laughs> That you were going to be in Orlando at the annual NAMBA conference. So what did I do? Dropped what I was doing. Drove my happy ass down to the hotel that's hosting NAMBA. Watched you speak. Watched Neil speak. You guys knocked it out of the park. And then I said, hey, Renee, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And you said, naturally. I'm here. I'm here. I was, yes. actually, I was actually hoping you'd ask. That's the thing. So I was just trying to play hard again. I, was like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Got so much going on in our world. So much, man. Right? You're you're dropping books. You're dropping training series. You have a big event coming up. You're being asked to keynote, not just in the mortgage space, right? I think you were telling me you were just keynoted for like a chocolate company. Yeah, Blommer Chocolate. Yeah, it's ridiculously delicious chocolate. Yeah. That's what you were doing before you I, had to get I couldn't your... have it, though. No, you, I couldn't eat it. Yeah, you look good, by the way. Thanks, man. Yeah, you've been hitting the gym? Trying to follow you, dude. Yeah, yeah not not hitting the uh, the pantry. No, I, <laughs> you know the thing is, it's like when you're when you're on the road this much, and I've been doing it for so many years that I finally said, the cliche was, if I don't get this health, if I don't prioritize it as literally number one, I'm not going to continue doing this, and it literally has become every event, every hotel, everything's planned around what gym do they have, what time can I get there, is there time to work out, not because I'm trying to be a gym rat, but it's the only way I keep the energy level. And what's wild is that number one, I feel so much better. I'm able to perform better. I sleep better and I just, and I just look better. And so it's everything. It just, it, I don't know why it took me that long. Yeah. I am a huge proponent. There's a couple things I'm a big proponent of for sales professionals in general. I am a look good, feel good, feel good, play good person, right? Yeah. I believe there's a uniform for every occasion. Like so if I'm going to wake up, I'm going to put on my uniform, and I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. And the other thing that I'm a huge proponent of before really almost anything, before I read a book, before I talk about the podcast that I love, before I talk about the events I love to attend or the sales calls I'm going to make, I talk more about what am I putting into my body and what am I doing to my body <coughs> because I've learned enough over time, and you study the brain way more than I've ever studied the brain, but I understand what nutrition does to my brain. I understand what it does to my energy levels, and I understand that I'm a happier person when I'm exercising and eating healthy and staying off of alcohol than the opposite. And you know, it's funny. It's, remember Zig Ziglar back in the day? He said if you owned, if you owned a million-dollar racehorse, would you feed it cupcakes and donuts? And we'd be like, no, why not? Because what's the thing that will make you a million bucks? And you wouldn't keep it up partying and drinking whiskey all night long and smoking cigars. And then, you know, and it just, it was so obvious, it becomes cliche. And that's the, the hardest part, I think, about real change is that it's so simple and right in front of us to do stop doing the stupid shit that we just go in denial. 
you know, yeah, of course we shouldn't eat that. Well, but this one won't hurt. You know, and am I really a million dollar racehorse? Well, would you trade a million dollars for your life? Yeah, would you trade if you had 10 million to survive? Yes, you'd get rid of it. So you're more expensive than that. And yet, but that doesn't cause change, which is why you never hear me talk that way. Because it doesn't, it's, it's like, oh, that was really cool. And it goes in one ear and out the other. To me, I had to experience some low levels of quality of life to go, what the hell am I doing? You know, just when I say quality of life, bending over to pick something up, tying my shoes, did it hurt? Dropping something on the floor, can I just reach over and grab it without being like, oh God. Going up the stairs, getting tired, carrying my bags to the airport, waking up without having a puffy face, whatever it was, and I just, I just got sick of it. And I'm like, okay, I need to actually adopt the cliche. And I actually personally believe that the answers to life are found in cliches. And because there's nothing new about them. And they were so real when they first came out that, that nobody, they're like, wow, that was perfectly said. So I'm going to say it too. And then that hurt. And then those cliches are just wisdom gone viral. And then it's gone so viral for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that we just don't listen anymore. So I always like to slow down around cliches. I love cliches. I tend to speak in them almost too much. Like I once had this professor, shout out to Dr. Morgan, but um, it was a third year college course writing for public relations. <laughs> and because I tend to write how I speak and I tend to speak in cliches, I once got a paperback that um, he had the word trite written all over it in red. <laughs> By the way, if you don't know what the word trite means, look it up. It's not a good thing. No, that's not good. It is not a good thing, especially when you're writing or you're speaking. And uh, But speaking of cliches, one of my favorite that you reminded me of just speaking now is if it's not new, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Mm. And yes, that is how you approached your diet and exercise. It's how I approach my, my every day. Um, something that I've learned to do is become boring. Yeah. I spent my whole life not wanting to be boring. Yeah. And I've learned to verbalize that to the audience or to the sales professionals that I have the opportunity to coach. I said, look, I'm not asking to be boring in your storytelling. I'm not asking to be boring in your pitch or boring in your presentations. What I'm asking you to do is be boring in your routine mm -hmm. to become predictable. Yeah. Because that boring and that predictability takes thought out of it. That allows you to then focus your thought on things that require thought. Yeah. What time I get up shouldn't require thought. What am I going to wear shouldn't require thought. What do I eat? What do I do on Mondays? I know what I do on Mondays. Monday's a rest day, but that means Tuesday's a bike day and Wednesday's a swim day and Thursday's a run day. Yeah. I don't have to think about any of that. I just have to execute. Yes. And it was interesting for me to wrap my pea brain around that because I am someone who grew up wanting and needing to be the center of attention. Yeah. Tell me I'm pretty. Yeah. Laugh at my jokes. But I also had to embrace being predictable. Well, I think that somebody once told me, take the thinking out of doing. And if I can do enough thinking prior to the doing, then I just spend most of my time at executing. And so if you know, like, this day is this, this day is that, and then there's no thinking and long. And I tell, I tell people, take the thinking out of doing even when you're writing an email. So use the subject line to tell people what needs to get done. Put it really simple up front. Please call. And if you can get really good, don't even say please. Because if you already know please, I wouldn't say, hey, can I remove all niceties in our, in our productive communications? Just know that I'm always saying please and thank you and I appreciate you. And I just go, I just want to make it really simple in the middle of your day for you to look at that with a, a half a second to know what I need from you. And if you can do that for me, I'll just know that you're always saying please and thank you. And it says call so-and-so number regarding this. And Thank you for saying regarding. Pet peeve. Yeah. Someone says call me. In the subject line, 
I literally want to say to them, motherfucker, does your phone not work? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> literally, that's my knee-jerk reaction. So yeah. you know if you just email me or text me, call me, yeah. it just puts me in a foul mood. Not your fault. That's my fault. But I need you to know that as my audience. Yeah. So do me a, one step further. How do you call me regarding yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, to me, I was referring to even within the team. So like... Jenny is amazing, and I know that when I land in an airport, I, I get to the airport, I don't always even know what city I'm in or going to because I just got off one. And so I land wherever I'm at, and I usually fall asleep in flight because I'll be resting. And I wake up, kind of getting there, and walk into baggage claim, and I'm going, where do I go? I don't know what hotel, what's going on. And I know now, I just pick up my phone, and I look right there, and it's right there, and all I have to do is click a button within the subject line of the appointment, what hotel I'm in. And it pulls up the, the actual address. And so she takes all the thinking out of doing by being that way. And the more you apply the thinking out of doing, like you know when your phone calls are going to be happening. You know all those things. And, and But you said, right, it takes the thought ahead of time to be able to be that um, productive. Because if you're, if you're trying to, it's like going in a tornado and then trying to do strategy within a tornado. No, you should have a strategy prior to the tornado. And to me, the tornado begins in the morning. So you plan your day the the, the the plan your day the day before. Correct. And then if you do that, you say, okay, well, that means that if I got to get up at five, I'm not going to be up till midnight. So I better not plan anything there. So if I plan my sleep, then I'll be up and I'll be awake. And if I already know that this is what's going on and I got my time, I just go. And man, you get so much more done. You and I were talking about the book Atomic Habits mm -hmm. because you haven't read it. In fact, I think you said it's the one book that's ahead of yours right now. Damn it. And it's been number one for, I don't even know what, six it's years like in a the, row. It's like the number one book in the world. Yeah. Yes. And I just read it for the second time. And my coaching group, the group of loan officers that I'm currently coaching, they all are reading it as an assignment. Whether they've read it before or they haven't, they're reading it. We talk about one or two chapters. That's how we kick off every single coaching call. And it, it was in that book that it just ties down the various habits that we can create to become productive humans. Not, mm. not just business people, but just human beings. And I was thinking about my morning and how it started, but really it started last night. It's what you just said. Yeah. Last night before I went to bed, besides setting my alarm, I had already scheduled the coffee maker to go off at a certain time. I'd already packed my gym bag. I'd already had my clothes that I was going to wear, not just hanging, hanging in my car. Yeah. That was one less step for me to have to Why do. Not? And then when I woke up, I knew what I had to do, right? Like, obviously, there's things I have to do because my body makes me, like, go to the bathroom. Yeah. There's things that I have to do because I think it's disgusting if I don't do them, like brush my teeth. Yeah. So besides go to the bathroom and brush my teeth, other than that, I had to pour cu a cup of coffee, and it was already made. Mm -hmm. I had to grab my gym bag that was already packed. I had to get in my car that already had my clothes hanging in it, and I had to drive to the gym. How much thought did that take? And Very no little. And no stress. No, no, no stress at all. And all of my thoughts were, what should Renee and I talk about today in the podcast? Quality thinking. Or my thoughts were, because you and I are actually going to be in Vegas next week together, probably by the time this drops, you and I are already in Vegas together. Yeah. And I'm speaking, I think you're keynoting and you're moderating the entire event? Uh, that... Moderating portion of it, yep. Okay. Because I got to leave early, unfortunately. Yep. So guess what I was doing this morning? I was writing my intro. Nice. Right. I mean, I did that while driving my 25 minutes to the gym because yeah. I wasn't thinking about, did I forget something? Yeah. Did I grab everything that I needed? I wasn't in a haste leaving, leaving, the, leaving the house. I was able to have a productive drive into the gym. And I think that's what people forget is the importance of quality time to, to think of quality. And if you're 
doing those mundane things, if you're always rushing, and I know this as somebody who's most of my life has been the last minute urgent rush. And, you know, people would say, what's the difference between where I was now, where I was before? It's just, it was focused. Like just being able to be focused. There were so many distractions. Always have been busy. So busy doesn't matter. Like busy, I, I can't stand that word. It, it's like busy, everyone's busy. So, but why is your busy creating millions and someone else's busy is creating thousands? What's the difference? Somebody's busy is creating billions. So it's not about busy. There's, there's, there's something in between there. And so for me, it was always looking at how am I thinking and what am I doing? What's the quality of those activities? And is it in line with a sales process if you're a salesperson? Is it in line with you know developing quality in terms of understanding and thinking? A lot of my job is to think. Like I have to think because on stage, I am sharing my thinking. Like right now, I'm sharing what my thoughts have been. And so people, how do you come up with that? Well, because I've probably said it in my head 4,000 times. Correct. And I've, I've, I've battled this concept in my head and then I talk about it all the time and now I'm just kind of sharing where I'm at with it. And then next year I might be a little further with it. I might change it. But right now, this is where I'm at and that is authentic to me. And I tell people authenticity requires no preparation. You just hit play on what's actually happening. If I'm nervous, I'm gonna talk about being nervous. My opening yesterday, do you remember what I said? Feeling feisty. Oh, you did say that. Yeah. You know why? Because I was f***ing feisty and angry. Why? Because I got, I landed that morning uh, an hour prior and I had a box of books. The most important part to me is to be able to pr promote that book. And just even if I, I don't care if I sell it, just get it in the hands of people because it does nothing in the box. I get there and I'm waiting 40 minutes for my bags. And I finally go, I'm like, guys, you, did you lose another box of books again? You know, and I love Delta. But when they lose the same thing three times in a row, I lose my shit. Yes. And I'm like, and especially I've got to rush to the airport. I've got a 35-minute drive. And I was, they, they were like, oh, it's still in flight. Well, why didn't you tell me that 40 minutes ago? Right? I could have been out. Anyways, so thank God I got an awesome Uber driver. He's like, I'll come back and get it for you. He was super cool. He did, too. Yeah, he was sitting in like the Like, he row. legit did. During your keynote, he came in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you shouted him out to the audience. It was pretty awesome. Super cool, dude. So then prior, you know, our camera guy wasn't around. And he was getting lunch or something. And I looked at the guy, I'm like, so what do we pay him for? You know, so now I'm just angry, you know. And, I'm, and I, t I told the team, I go, I go I'm feisty today. I said, what the, I don't know what's going on with me, right? And I'm like, I'm feisty. And I started, and I'm like, and I was just like, you know, I'm feeling I'm feisty. But and, as you've been authentic with your audience, though. Yeah, and because I, I was. And I, it also kind of helped me get it off my chest. And I go, and I think it's okay to be feisty and angry sometimes. Because we're talking about, right now, we're talking about selling in difficult times. And you know what? you got to be fed up with what you used to do. I'm fed up with what I used to do. I think you, we got to get angry about that. And to me, that just felt like the most easily, the easily, most easy way to flow into what I was really feeling. And I think when people start realizing that you can be that authentic and that honest, as long as it transitions into something that makes sense, to me, it's fun. Like, cause, cause now I get to just share. And why am I okay sharing it? Because I've shared it a few thousand times in my head or in conversations and everything. Like, like. Uh, comics to me are the best business, mo like best model for that. You look at the best comics in the world. When they go and kill it on stage, they already know it's going to kill because they've been practicing that gig for a year to a year and a half. Where open mic nights, they just show up. They don't ask for money. They just want to test, and they're throwing out jokes. What's landing? What's not landing? And what's when they're testing that? By the time they go, okay, we know this joke kills. 
I got my timing down. If I say it with this inflection versus that inflection, it lands. But if I miss this inflection or that timing, if I wait too long, it doesn't work. Okay, the algorithm's set, ready for my special. And they kill it on that special. Every joke has been tested, proven. There's no trial runs on that special. It's been run, tried, proven, everything's good. And then I tell my speakers, you want to be a speaker? I go get again in every open mic night you can. Well, what do you mean open mic night? Free. Go speak at the Rotary Club. Speak. If you get asked a question, f***ing talk. That's it. That's speaking. If you're at dinner, give the toast. Those are open mic nights. And test something out at happy hour. Hey, this is what I've been thinking about. What do you guys think? Here's what I'm thinking about male and female pay gaps. Here's what I mean about masculine and feminine energy. You know, how does this work? Oh, like, and then you, somebody is like offended. Oh, tell me why. What did I say? You know what? That makes sense. I didn't think about it that way. Empathy grows. And you're constantly molding these ideas. And then by the time you have time to share it, people are like, wow, that was really good. I go, like, well, yeah, because I, I've been sharing it for a year and a half before I shared it with you. But I watched so many other people just try something on stage. And it's like, dude, hold off on that for a little bit. Go try it out there. And, and just make sure it's right and see what you believe and test it and put it to the test of time and tough questions. And then once you're there, you develop a sense of confidence with it. And yet, then it's fun. Yeah, you have the little hamster in my head on that wheel. It right now is you're going to have a heart attack because it's running so fast. Yeah. Right, so you use the word focused. You talked about you were always busy. You weren't always focused. Yeah. A word that I love that goes with focused is intentional. Yeah. Am I intentional with my actions? Um, and then that little hamster that was running in that wheel in my head, as you continue to speak, I'm like, oh my gosh, Rain's just dropping knowledge and dropping knowledge. I'm like, well, duh, that's what he does. But something that kept on resonating with me is you're talking about practice, right? Mm -hmm. Comedians practice. Well, why do they practice? Because they're professionals. Yeah. Amateurs don't practice. No. Professionals practice. With intensity. Yeah, intensity and intentionally, right? And focus. Yeah. And I practice everything that you just stated, meaning JC will come in here to ask me a question about a video edit. Yet he understands sometimes he's going to get me for three to five minutes. Yeah. And I'm usually just going off on some kind of a thought. It could be a tirade. But he understands, hey, he needs to listen because all I'm doing is prepping. Yep. I'm prepping for the next opportunity. I'm working that material through, or sometimes yeah. I'm working the thought through. Like, does this thought even make sense to me? And yeah. I need to hear it. Yeah. I need to hear it coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Like I, I was in the pool today, right? We were talking yesterday about your training, how you're kicking ass. And I was sharing with you how I Iron have Man. my Ironman coming up and I get to spend a lot of time alone with myself. Yeah. And not the type of alone that I liked when I was 14. This is the <laughs> type of alone that is in a pool where you're swimming a mile or out on a run when you're running five miles or on biking 60 miles. And those opportunities give me a great, give me the great fortunate aspect of having time. Yeah. And with that time, I get to process thoughts, but nothing's the same if I can't speak it. Yeah. And I need to have an audience to bounce that idea because I want to be able to read what does his eyes just do? Yeah. You know, is he leaning into me or is he leaning away from me? Is he crossing his arms or he's not crossing his arms? I need to be able to read my audience. And I think that's something that on a very small scale, sales professionals need to be doing, whether it's with their spouse, it could be with their teenage children, or it could be with their ex-college buddies. But when the opportunity presents itself, be focused and intentional and work on your material when it's not on the field per se, yeah. right? When you're off the field, you should also be working on it. It was, if you watch professional athletes train, 
it is watching a work of art. It's like a miracle in a lot of ways because you're watching somebody do something so simple, like free throws. And you watch, why is he sweating profusely at the free throws? Well, he'll shoot two, and you'll watch him run as fast as he can down to the other end of the court and back and down again and back and down and then stop and have to calm himself down to be able to hit through free throws. Then he'll do it again, up and down, up and down, burpees, you know, run through something, and then free throws. And it's, it's that level of intensity, and I love that you add intentionality to it. It's like there's a strategy as to why. And I, w- I always ask people, I said, you know, do you consider yourself a pro? And they're like, raise my hand. I said, great. When was the last time you trained like one? Where you really sweat out a script? Where you went through and you recorded it 15 times? I tell people, I said, you want to see if you're a pro? I said, record ten- yourself 10 times. Oh, 10 times? I'm like, 10. And then I want you to watch it the first time with no audio. Just see how you look. Do you look boring? Do you pick your nose? Do you scratch your ears? Do you not move? Do you, look, do you just look boring? Then, you, you know, body language might need to shift and become a little bit more aggressive or might be a little bit more expressive. And then listen to it with no, no visual, just audio. How do you sound? Do you sound monotone? How many ums, ahs do you use? Then transcribe it and use a highlighter for every single crutch word, um, like, you know, that doesn't add value. And then just visually look at that sheet of paper and look at how much shit you speak. Then you go, okay, now listen to the whole thing with that in context, and you realize, I got a long ways to go. That's video one. Do that 10 times. People will be like, okay, well, I'll do that 10 times this year. How about 10 times this week? Like, why not? What the hell else are you going to do? And in, in you're speaking, but just record everything. And why not review the tape? That's what a pro does. And if you do that soon, right now, and pretty soon, you're not you're not going to be that amateur. You're going to know so much about yourself. You have so much self awareness. You're going to that you're going to know the ums and ahs. You're going to have this little radar inside that says stop doing that, and you correct it. And all of a sudden, you start getting better. Why? Because you practiced like a pro. And if you don't love what you do, me asking you to practice like a pro, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. No, it didn't, what you're describing to me is the compounding effect of effort. Mm. We do a good job of trying to teach the American populace the compound effect of money. Mm-hmm. Right? Here's how compound interest works. But effort works the same exact way. Yeah. Right? The compound, so the, the quicker I start doing something, the better I will become, the quickest I will become good at it. Right? Yeah. So it's like if I'm 18 and I can only save a dollar a day, that's way better than just not saving anything. And if I start saving a dollar a day at 18 by 25, can I save $10 a day? Mm-hmm. So if you want to become a speaker, if you start speaking today, even if it's at the Rotary Club, and even if it's just littered with ums, you knows, and right, that was my crutch word. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to the first probably 10 <laughs> or 15 episodes so of, of this particular podcast. And yes, I would say, da 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 right? Da-da-da-da, right? Everything was right? So I didn't get the ums in there, and I sure as heck didn't get the, you know? And by the way, just sidebar, anytime someone says you know during a presentation or a speech, I literally want to stand up and say, no, I don't f***ing know. That's why I'm sitting here. I'm trying to learn. I get it that it's their crutch word, but it's the one that probably gets under my skin the most, with um being the second. Right is easier for me to forgive as an audience member because maybe you have a couple of them where I just need to do a pulse check yeah. with my audience to make sure they are tuned in 
and two thirds of them aren't looking down on their phone scrolling through Instagram. Yeah, yeah. No, it's in again the un, the underlying assumption here is who do you want to be, and are you happy getting by? Then what we're saying doesn't really apply to you, and that's okay. It doesn't apply to everybody, and that's why very few are willing to be elite. And not everybody wants to be that. You might be elite at you know fucking darts at the bar, fucking awesome. I'm not. I don't put the effort into that. And, and I have no judgment on that. But some people have a great time and better friendships probably than I do doing stuff like that. It's just not my calling. But whatever it is you want to do, like to me, why not put everything you got into it? Why not? Especially, and here's the thing that I'll ask people, because they're, they're, let's say that I'm getting ready for a video presentation and their energy's off. I'm like, you have kids? And they're like, yeah. I said, then present today as if they're watching you. Love it. And what do you want them to see? Because you look timid and f***ing scared and unsure. And you'll see them sit up straight. And I'm like, is that what you are? They're like, no. I said, then f***ing present that way and smile. And you watch this. Like, it's just something clicks inside where I go, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. Like, what am I trying to impact? And for me, the kids is a great leverage tool because we realize it kind of reminds us that who I am is affecting people. Well, I don't care how I affect people, but I care how I affect my kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, you know what? Maybe there's something different here. Let me stop bullshitting and let me play and step up. So I, I, I love that conversation because I think it's, it's what needs to happen, especially in times like this. No, I would appreciate that as someone you were coaching. The minute you start bringing my personal life into it, I'm going to listen to you. Circling back to something that you said about liking. I'm a firm believer. And in fact, shout out to the book again. James Clear writes about this in Atomic Habits. It is nearly impossible to become really proficient at a chore, hobby, task, career that you don't like. Yeah. And typically that you don't have a natural talent for. right? That you don't have some kind of a, hey, I just happened to pick this up and I was good at it. Mm. Right? And I think back of all of the hiring successes that I have had as a, as a hiring manager and all the hiring failures I have had as a hiring manager. And those that failed typically failed because they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So they weren't willing to embrace the suck. They weren't willing to grind for the two or three years that it takes to get that massive airplane off the runway and into the air. Yeah. Or they didn't have a talent for it. Like there's a certain aptitude that's just required to do what I have done as a profession for the past almost two decades. And I used to think you could grind through and I've learned recently through some failures as a hiring manager, you know what, that person grinded, but they didn't have the aptitude. And without the aptitude, it was gonna hold them back. When it held them back, it kept them from being good. Well, if they weren't getting better or they weren't becoming good, then all of that energy that they started off putting into the in, into the career growth or career trajectory was going to wane. Yeah. It was going to just get chipped away until eventually what you ended up with was a mediocre salesperson yeah. in a career that they didn't enjoy. So then as a leader, I've learned recently, and I want other leaders to really listen hard at this part, because this was a really big life lesson that probably I've learned in the past 60 days. I am a poor leader. If I do not terminate that salesperson who I know is below average, who I know doesn't enjoy what they're doing and I know they're not good at it and they're not becoming better, 
Because I also know that person's a good person. That person is maybe a loyal person. And that person is afraid of admitting failure. Yeah. So I do them a disservice when I, when I let them hang on. I'm a better leader when I go to them and say, hey, Renee, we're going to make today your last day. I don't think mortgages is for you. I just help them make the hardest decision of their life easy because yeah. I made it for them. So can I challenge that to take it a step further? Please. So research shows, if you were to guess, what's the number one cause for underperformance in a sales organization? Number one. What would you guess? I'm, st I'm, I'm going to toss it between lack of training okay. and lack of support, but not technical support, emotional support. Okay. So you actually gave the answer about a minute ago. It's, okay. It's the hiring process. So it's when well, you said it, I, I'm a better leader if I let him go early. Actually, it's you're a poor leader if you hired him in the first place. Wow. Right. And so you have to have. I'll own that. Yeah, and I'm not saying you, but you know. No, me, no, right? Jock, Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll own that. Okay. And so, so you go, you go. Okay, and the hiring process is where you. It, it's too emotional. It feels like they're a good fit, and then you get people like you and I. We're like, it, well, I overcame this, and I worked really hard. If I can get them to this, and I'll show them the shortcut, anyone can do this. And it's not that anybody can or can't. It's there are turkeys aren't meant to climb trees. You shouldn't hire me as a jockey. I'm 6'3", 258, 260 pounds. And you, that, just, that would be a poor hire. I mean, I could grind my way. I'm a hard worker. One, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. I'm not built for it. And I don't have the mental capacity for it, in, in physical capacity for it. And you may <clears> hate, hate horses. Yeah, exactly. But, but I see the money. So I want the money, but I don't want anything else. And so there, there are tests that can do that. But I tell the hiring manager, I said, you got to put more effort in the hiring process and say no before you even hire to do that because the cost of the mishire is about 150,000, 150% of their, of what they make. So they make a hundred thousand, but it costs you $150,000 when you lose them and to, to retrain them. That's the cost of that. And yeah. So backfill. The, the void that they're leaving and your time invested and the team's time invested in the training and the and the pull on the operations and it just it's everything there but the hiring process is number one and you got to have you got to have something that, that that goes beyond the emotional feel and into something that measures bona fide occupational responsibilities what is your favorite personality profile that you would use as a hiring manager I wouldn't use a personality profile. You wouldn't? No. So no no wonderlick for you, no disc for you, none of that? Well, the only reason is those are there's, – there's two kinds of tests. This is where we get my psychology background comes into play because psychology is mostly statistics and testing and experimentation, right? And so there's a do test and an R test. R tests are what you are like. They are uh, personable. They are empathetic, right? Great. So you can't – those aren't statistically valid, face valid. You can't – can't you can't use those in a court of law to say they're not fit you'd get sued if you use that test but then there are do tests which measure what you'll do and a do test is defensible in court let's say you're hiring you to be a fireman and you carry the 150 pound sack over your shoulders 100 yards or you get 20 yards can't hire you well no it's discrimination no 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 no. this is a bona fide occupational responsibility you can't carry from here to there i can't hire you and so in sales what's the number one job pick up the phone do something so how many phone calls will you make? You're going to have a do test. This person will make 40 phone calls. And so you got to measure that activity that is bona fide to the responsible responsibility of the job. And to me, that's what 
nobody measures that. There's, there's a test that I recommend, the SPQFSA, which is the only psychographic test out there that measures uh, sales call reluctance in 16 different types. And if you know that, over a million people have taken the test, you can compare notes to your industry, and you can tell you red, yellow, green in 16 different types, tell you where, where they are. Some people have what's called telephobia, fear of picking up the phone, referral aversion. They don't want to ask for a referral for fear of hurting an existing relationship. They have um, role rejection, where they have shame about being called a salesperson, so they change their name to being consultants, right, or um, customer service managers, and you know, they're salespeople. Will you pick up the phone and make the call and most training is around presentation skills, you know, coaching. Once you have assumed you actually make the call, but if you don't make a call, you have nothing to even measure. What's the name of that again? SPQFSA. SPQ. Sales preference. F sales preference. Yeah, sales preference questionnaire. Okay. Yeah. You have to be. You have to. You have to be um, licensed to do it. So I'm. 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 Whatever licensed to be able to administer it. And so you have to go. Th I had to go through like a week long test with a bunch of doctors to go. But through as it. a hiring so, manager, could I pay? Yeah to have one of my applicants or a group of my applicants go through a bunch of my clients that say I got new applicants and they just I just send them a link and they take the test and then I train them on how to read the test because that the value is seeing it and they some people say well if I see four reds I'm not hiring some people are open to five some people have what's called oppositional reflex so their their reflex to, to critique or coaching is to oppose so they're not coachable. Some people are doomsayers. So they need more therapy than they need something, you know, than, than they need a job because they're just, uh, this market, I don't even know why I'm going to make the call because it's, it's just not going to happen anyways. That's the doomsayer. They kill culture. Wow, this was a rabbit hole. I had no idea we were going to go, go down. This is why I love having you on, Renee. Something that I did want to just kind of remind our, our audience because we just kind of jumped into maybe some high-level hiring manager stuff. Mm -hmm. But if we were to kind of reverse that back to when we were talking about doing things that you like or doing things that you love, doing things that you're good at, mm -hmm. um, I didn't get a chance to tie this down and I want to. Please. For those that are listening, those that are truly tuned in, I would encourage you, regardless of where you are in your life and in your career, ask yourself, do I like what I'm doing and am I good at it? Because I don't think if you can't answer those two questions, we're still in a really good job market. Yeah. Why are you doing it then? Why are you doing it? Now, if you can justify, well, there is a means to the end. And when I look at my career trajectory, I am confident that I'm going to like my promotion, not the money, but the actual task that comes with it. Um, maybe you would give yourself a little bit of slack. But for most of us, if you don't like it and you're not good at it, then you're not going to try. Yeah. And you're not going to do professional development. Then you're not going to focus on becoming one of the best in your industry. The question then becomes, then why in the hell are you doing it? And I think, you may, would you say, it's a question to you, if I'm not good at or are there signs that I might be good at it? Might be, yeah, right? there you go. Right? Because then there's, like, you're not going to be good at anything at first. Correct. <laughs> you're, yes. You're going to suck at it at first. But are there signs that I, there's some potential here? But I, I love those questions. Those are honest. And if you can, I think if anybody can be honest with themselves about it, you know, when you're looking at, so many people get involved for the sexy romantic side of, of the sales job because it's there's a big payout but they forget the unsexy nature of the phone calls and the grind and the rejection and looking yourself in the mirror and still getting up and doing that, not knowing where that paycheck's gonna come from and knowing that you've gotta be able to kill something before you eat. And, and nobody, nobody cares. I love your perspective on the signs because if I think of myself as a 22-year-old young sales professional, at 22, I promise you, you know nothing. You are a know-nothing. And that's okay, you're supposed to be. 
a know-nothing. But of course, you think you know it all because for many, you're just graduated. You have that fancy college degree that doesn't really mean a whole lot besides you were able to accomplish sticking out school for another four years to accomplish a task. But you have that. And I was able to look. I was in that position. I had a 22-year-old, young, hockey, uh, arrogant, cocky. You know, I'm 42 and not young, but maybe still a little bit too arrogant or cocky at times. We work on that in age, right, Renee? Guys <laughs> like bit. you and I, we are. Life uh, forces us to. <laughs> yes, and the women in our lives do a good job of keeping us in check, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. But I wasn't good, but I was good compared to my peers. Yeah. Right. So I was in a peer group where there was five or six other people. And although compared to those that had five or seven or 10 years experience, I was nowhere close to being as good as them. Yeah. I was at least able to compare myself amongst my peers, which is why I think it's imperative that people find peer groups. Yeah. Right. You need to find a peer group. If you're a rookie in your organization, where are the other rookies? And then outgrow it as quickly as you can. Yes. And then in, dominate in that, mm -hmm. in baseball. Okay. I dominate, not me personally. Okay. I didn't dominate a whole lot once I turned about 14. Um, yeah, I got by did well, but I didn't dominate. But let's say I did. I dominate the varsity level. I couldn't compete with a double-A baseball player when I was 17 in high school, but I did really good amongst the high school players. Yeah. Then I got to go to college where maybe as a freshman, I didn't dominate against the juniors and seniors, but I dominated amongst the freshman class, which allowed me to go to, to the, the major leagues, right? You want to dominate whatever class you're in yeah. and then obviously continue to elevate your game. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Until you get to a point to where it's like, hey, you may be comfortable where you are. And as you stated earlier, there's nothing wrong with that. No. Right? Like, like there's reason why we talk about average, well, below let, average, so let, above go, average, and great. So let's go, let's go down yeah. that path. Okay. Let's, let's, you want, let's test this idea. Because I think that – just make sure you, I, don't, I don't go past your time. We're good. So, see, I, so here's where I'm, I'm at. This is where my – you want to know where my brain is? This is my open mic moment here. Okay. I'll, let's go I'll for stop. it. So I don't think happiness is the goal anymore at all. I don't think that's the goal. And so let me explain. So what is the goal? So think about it this way. So if you think of dopamine, right? Dopamine is would be the reward hormone. A lot of people say it's the reward hormone. It's also misunderstood. It's not what it does. And so I'll explain that in a minute. So you go to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm pursuing happiness. And so then people, most people define happiness as saying uh, a goal achieved. So I'm going to go after the beach home. Okay, I'm going after the beach home. I'm going after the bigger house, uh, the car that I wanted, whatever it is. And as if you look at dopamine levels over time, right? And as I'm pursuing towards the beach house, you watch dopamine levels rise. And then you look at that and say, okay, I've achieved the beach house. What do you think happens to dopamine levels once you achieve it? I'm guessing they plummet. They plummet. Bam. So it's not a reward hormone. Because hormone. It, it would have come then when you got the beach home. But it doesn't. What it is, it's, a, it it's, it, it's secreted at the anticipation of reward at the anticipation. So dopamine works as a cheerleader at, during the grind. If you can envision the goal, okay? So I envision the beach home, I envision the being number one, whatever that goal is that you, you're aspiring to, envision the body that you wanted. And so dopamine's going, hey, you got this, right? A little bit of dopamine, right? Let's go, you got this, you got this. And so what happens though, if we think that happiness is that beach home or being number one or the best-selling book, or whatever, fill in the blank, and dopamine levels drop, what it says is, one, to get there, you have a healthy dopamine system. Like, it's good. It's rewarding you in the grind. And, but what it also says is the person most capable of achieving the big goal, the beach home being number one, is also the person least capable of enjoying it. 
the person most capable of achieving the beach home is the person least capable of enjoying it because once they get there, dopamine levels drop and they sit there and they go, and they open up their laptop and they search for the next one. Yeah. And you look at that and you go, okay, so then go over time. Beach home, drop. Well, maybe it's a bigger beach home. Got it. Eh, that didn't do it. Well, I got to actually, for me, write a book. Okay, boom. Okay, I did that. Well, the f isn't a bestseller. Well, I got to go after the bestseller. Okay, got that. Okay. Well, and after you get that, you know what it's going to be? Why do you only have one book? Exactly. And then now it's like, okay, well, I remember 20 years ago, 28 years ago, I was like, if I could be in Chief Executive Magazine, I'd be fucking set. And it came out like two months ago. And I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, I had a little tear in my eye for a second. And I was like, why'd they use this fat photo of me? And that's where my brain went. And I'm like, and why isn't it in the print magazine? And then I'm like, okay, Forbes, Inc., Fast Company. Got them all within two months. Nothing. Nothing. And so then you look at that aggregate over time, the dopamine spike drop, dopamine spike drop, and at the tips of each one of those there are the happy moments. You realize that happiness is fleeting. Happiness is, we're lucky if it's bestowed upon us from time to time, but most in between the, the start of the goal and the reaching of the goal, there's this stuff. What do you think is happening between those fleeting moments of the dopamine drops? Life. And if I don't enjoy the journey, it means I'm not enjoying the actual process of doing it because the happy points are few and far between. Most of life is struggle. Most of life is grind. Most of life is suffering. Most of life is going after something I can't do now. I'm trying to do that yet. How, how much are you enjoying being in that pool, running the five miles, doing the 16? I mean, really, is it like, this is so happy or is it a test of truth of who you f***ing are? Yeah, so... You're sitting here and A, I'm like, I love where Renee is going. I love this thought, right? If you're trying this thought out, I'm going to say, Renee, keep trying this out. Keep perfecting it because the message that I'm getting, and I don't know if you've yet tied it down or actually said these words, so I'll say it for the audience. Happiness is found in the journey. Happiness yes. is found in living your life. Happiness isn't the, the goal. Now, someone like me, I feel like I have to set a goal yeah. because that is what fuels my journey. That is what allows me to get that constant drip of dopamine that you're talking about. But you're absolutely correct, and my family knows this. My 17-year-old son gives me shit about it. I think he admires it, but he also gives me shit about it. My wife probably less admires it because she sees a lot of my adventures as um, potentially being selfish because it takes time away from her and the kids, and she's right and I'm wrong. But they've already asked me because my race is next month. What's next? Mm-hmm. What's next? They know me well enough, yeah. but I live life to the fullest. I am happiest when I'm doing. Yeah. Now I can find happiness doing with them, right? My wife and I went to Maine for 10 days and we hiked Acadia. That was the most amazing 10 days I've had with her in probably years. And that was really cool. And I want to do more of that. But as I told them, well, you know what? I'm going to tell the audience right now. And John Coleman talks all the time. If I don't put it out there, it won't happen. When I finish my Ironman 70.3, I'm enrolling in BJJ. I'm going to start getting on a mat, putting on a gi, enrolling. Awesome. I have wanted since my early teens to study a martial art to the point that I was proficient, not necessarily black belt, just proficient, that I dedicated my time to something and I continuously got better. It started at be the white belt. I, I'm, I'm, I've been told I have, I, I will. But, you know, so yes, it's, um, I don't know where I got on that, Renee. I think you asked me a question, but for, for me, I, I find enjoyment doing things. You asked me if I was enjoying the pool. I don't know if I'm enjoying today's workout as much as I'm enjoying the journey, right? I am, 
So I'm not looking forward so to running go, 14 further, miles. So let's go further yeah. down this path, okay. right? Because you hit on the head. You said that you have to find happiness in the journey because if you don't, you're going to reach 40 years old and look back and go, what did I do? I thought it was all these moments of happiness, but none of them did it for me. I didn't enjoy the process because I was doing something I hated and it wasn't there. And now, who am I? So you're left with that thought. And so you realize that the journey, and people always, they're so stuck on the why, which is good, but the how is the only time we're alive. The how needs to be just as important and just as meaningful, how you do something. If you're going into power and you're an asshole getting into power, well, when I get in power, I can make change. No, 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 because most of the journey is getting into power, and you were an asshole the entire time. And now you're there, you're just now continuing to be an asshole with power. And so the road to heaven needs to be heaven. The end needs to be reflected in the process. And so for me, if, you get, if you've been doing what you love, no matter what, like I said, it's one thing I can tell you right now for, for my work at least and that piece of the pie, I look back and my kids say, well, Dad, you could do something else and make more money back in the day. And I talked to them, I said, but I don't love it. Now I go back and go, I love every journey, every moment of this. When I was in the pits and didn't have money, when I didn't know, I remember I used to literally, I knew the secret that if you had a dollar in your bank account, you could swipe the card for $75 at a, at a gas station and they could give you $75 credit. It's just as long as there's a dollar in the debit card. Okay. Yeah. And so, because I'd, I'd have to make sure there was a dollar in there and then I could swipe it and get $75 of gas and I'd make sure to do that. I mean, th I loved that time because it taught me so much. But so now let's go a little further. So we go, so what is happiness? Or what's the goal? So for me, it's if, so you get the beach home. You get it like, oh, I gotta get the next one. But how do you feel when you, your buddy wants to go to the beach home and you give him the keys? Say, hey, have a great time. Feel great. You feel great, right? So As long as he pays the cleaning fee. <laughs> I don't know if, if friends and family fully understand that, hey, look, if you have a family member who has a beach home and they let you use it, right? Well, when you're using it, there are electric bills going up. Yeah. And there's a cleaning bill associated with it. So it's not necessarily free for you. The right thing to do, the non-dick move, yeah. would be to make sure you hook your brother and sister-in-law up, whoever it is that owns that beach home, mm -hmm. with at least enough money to clean the thing and a little bit of extra money because you just jacked up the utilities for the whole entire time you used it. Anyhow, sidebar. <laughs> Big sidebar. <laughs> but the point is, is like when we're giving something to someone, we feel better. Yes. And so to me, somebody once said this, and it answered the question for me. It's not about being happy. I want to be, when the flood comes, I want to be the one who built the ark. So think about that for a minute. Building the ark, the proverbial ark, is to sweat, sacrifice, suffering, pain, all of that. Time. Time. And, but why? Because it was in the service of others. So to me, the goal is service, to be of utility, to be useful. Can I progress the world further with my existence? If I, well, okay, the, the flood's coming. Oh, what'd you do? Oh, sorry, nothing, man. I was just here zenning out and just being happy. Well, excuse me, you're fucking useless in this moment. And you look at strong people versus weak people, right? And I know this is, this is controversial, but that's a fact. There are weak people, strong people. When I say weak, I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about weak in mind, weak in ideas. Some people have strong minds and strong ideas. I know there's some people that walk into a room, and when they walk in the room, I know I better keep my shit together. I better not say certain things. I better walk a straighter path. That strong person made this room better. And now, there's a let's say a strong person walks in, 
or a dangerous person, right? Because Dr. Peterson says dangerous, you have to be dangerous in this world to learn how to tame it. But the weakest, worst people in the world are dangerous people that don't tame it. But let's say there's somebody comes in a room who's a dangerous person and you've been focused on being docile and peaceful your whole life and your wife is there. Well, that dangerous person walks in, you can't do anything about it. Just, just your presence doesn't deter that. But let's say they see another dangerous person who knows how to tame their danger, and that dangerous person sees them, and they go, okay, this isn't the room. This isn't the place to do this because there's somebody strong in here. So the world is more harmonious in that moment. And so a good man is a strong man, or some people say a dangerous man who knows how to tame it. A good woman is a dangerous woman who tames that danger. Untamed danger is bad. But here's the, virtu- here's the piece that got it for me because I wanted to think differently. I'm like, God, that sounds like an asshole. But I go, no, hold on a second. Let's talk about the word virtuous. What does virtuous means mean? What does it mean to be virtuous? It means to choose between good and evil. To choose between. The assumption is I have the choice. I have the choice. I could be dangerous or I could be bad or could be good. But if I'm just a rabbit in the corner, I don't even have the choice of being dangerous. It's impossible for me to be virtuous because I don't have the choice. I'm forced to just be weak in the corner. But if I'm dangerous, I'm strong, I have thoughts, I have opinions, I can articulate them well, and I have the courage to confront you, I'm dangerous. Now, I can also use that to abuse you. But if I don't, now I've chosen to be virtuous. So to me, I think in today's world, like, like with my kids, like my, my sons, I say, I want you to be as strong and as dangerous and as opinionated as you can respectfully. Because there will, be, if you don't, if you're not respectful, the world will teach you respect. My job as a father is to show you what. Let me show you before the world does. Yeah, the the world does not necessarily <laughs> teach that in a uh, kind, humbling way. No, or, or humbling way, but not <laughs> in a kind in fashion. The, the, correct. Yeah, it's humbling. Yeah. Yes. And so, for me, it's to stop being scared of being powerful. And I say the same to women. There are women that are so fucking powerful. They walk in the room. You know, you better walk a straight line. Because she will call you to the, to the carpet, and she will call you out. And that, to me, is a good human. And so the stronger we are, the more we push it. And the only way we, to know that is to suffering. To, like, so let's go further on this. Mother Teresa was known in Calcutta, was, had access to millions. But why did everybody that she was serving was in extreme poverty? Well, she believed that the only way to, to Christ or the only way to God was through suffering. That's the way we knew the Lord the most. And so she said, these are the people that are most close to God. And that's where she kept that environment, is through suffering. And so for me, it's a reframe of what suffering means. I suffered this morning in the gym. You suffered this morning in the gym, right? I suffered last night. I could have gone out, but I decided to go to bed, right? There's a sacrifice. There's a grind there so that today I wake up and I can be on point with my thoughts with my, with my friend here, right? And these thoughts are there. Instead of going down that path, you know, last night we had, as Neil calls it, contraband, you know? <laughs> And the contraband was the the chocolates that showed up at the table. And, and he's like, dude, and he's just testing me. He's like, dude, there's four pieces. You should have one. And, and he's just looking at me. I'm like, nah. And he's like, but dude, come on. He, that one's not going to do you any good. He's like to test me, right? And I just looked at him. I said, do you know how many times I have given into that shit? And I go, yeah, it's going to taste good. I know what it tastes like. But right now, all I can think about is tomorrow being able to look at you, put my finger in your face and say, you I didn't <laughs> eat the chocolate and I don't remember you. that right and it's and it's we laugh about it and he knows what he was doing that that's what I think high performing people will test each other but at the end of the day 
I think we need to be powerful. I think we need to be strong. I think weakness is not good. I'm not going to judge you for being weak because I, I know small people that are physically weak, but mentally, f***ing yeah. lions, right? Yep. I would not go toe-to-toe with these people. And so it, don't get confused of me saying it's about strong and weak because I also know big, strong men that are just weak in mind. Yes. You know, it's just like, ugh, like what? What are we doing? We got to progress that stuff and stop being scared of it. Stop trying to be happy. Stop trying to protect your kids from from suffering. Let them suffer as long as they're suffering on purpose. And if it's in service to others, it's a beautiful thing because it becomes fulfilling and it creates joy and it creates purpose to me, which far exceeds happy. Are these things that you teach in your Amplify Academy? Yes. Yep. I'm so starting to. You're I'm, starting I'm, to. I mean, well, this, this to me is the underlying foundation of what it is. Okay. Because to be to be of influence, you have to know who you are. You have to have explored who you are. And the, any of the trainings that I do push people to a limit to suffer a little bit and to understand how to, to manage and do well during that process. And if you can do well through that process, you'll be able to do well in any environment. Because you and I, I, I so appreciate your time. You and I can sit here for two, three hours. Like yeah. we could do a Rogan-esque three and a half hour show. Unfortunately, you are keynoting a big event happening in Orlando right now. And I have to go grab my wife and we have to drive to Jacksonville. Discipline and sacrifice. And you're talking about hard, not hard. Hard's not, not, not the right word. You're talking about Dangerous. strong women. Dangerous women. Dangerous women. I'm yeah. married to one. Good. If I'm late, <laughs> it's not fun for anybody. And look at what that does for you. It holds you in line. Yes, That's a I need good that. woman that holds you and is dangerous. My wife is the most dangerous person I know. She scares the shit out of me. And she's strong. She's powerful. And she's opinionated. And she will throw it in your face. Like when I was writing the book, the reason I dedicated it to her, because when I wrote the book, I was tired. And I got into bed. It's 10 o'clock. I'd have been working all day playing. And she's sitting there. And she looks at me. She goes, you doing i'm like i'm tired i'm going to sleep i've reached the wall i need to get some sleep i'm listening to my body the whole thing she goes you have to write chapter four tonight get the out of here and i'm like no and i'm like she's like oh you don't write it tonight tomorrow you're starting chapter five but you're going to be on chapter four which means you've pushed off the entire piece and she goes through every trip i've got everything and it's like and i turn around reluctantly pissed off and I go write the chapter. A strong woman is a good woman. She'll fucking yep. hold you well, in line. I have one that needs me driving her up to Jacksonville. So we can go have fun with her sister, her sister's husband, throwing on her later hose, and we're going to an Oktoberfest event. Nice. Um, if people want to find more of you, what is the best way to find more, whether it's the book, whether it's the Academy, it's your next speaking event, it's Amplify, um, you're talking about another event that you're doing. I don't know if you're doing it with Brad or mm-hmm. or um, it's a Renee event or a Brad event. Both of us. Okay, cool. How could the audience find more of you and what you're doing? So easy. Uh, Instagram is if you want. If you like this, I mean, I do a video a day on Instagram. So okay. This is we decided to make that a platform to get content, and so there's a new video every single day. See Renee speak. S E E Renee R E N E speak. And my website meet Renee M E E T not M E A T M E E T Renee. One. It used to be M-E-A-T. That was my previous gig. And so the meetrene.com, you can have all the links that are there. I am doing a Game Changer event with Brad Lee. If you don't know him, just find him on Instagram. You'll know him very quickly who he is. Lee is spelled L-E-A, by the way. Brad L-E-A. Yep, yep. Brad Lee, the real Brad Lee. 
he and I are doing a personal branding uh, uh, work. Basically, it was a workshop, 65 people only for uh, one one day. We call it the Game Changer. And if you know him, you know what he's done. It's it's a pretty intense event. Awesome. Renee, always a pleasure. He's Renee Rodriguez. I'm Dustin Owen. That's all the time we have for you today, but we will catch you on the next episode.